0: Hey everyone chris Haddon here with hard money bankers and another awesome expert interview for everyone watching or listening i'm with my business partner ian walsh ian thanks for being with us thanks for having me chris yes sir uh yeah we got some good stuff to go over uh, so ian is uh one of our partners in hard money bankers he runs our philadelphia area operation and he is also a partner in a Property management company called TCS Management. Uh, we'll get into all that stuff here, of course, in a in a couple minutes. If you wouldn't mind, though, could you just give everyone a little bit of background on you, where you're from, where you grew up, all the all the normal stuff?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I'll skip right ahead to when I got into the business world because I don't think everybody needs to know about my high school <laughs> athletic career, um, or lack thereof. So um, so yeah, I got uh, I got into real estate about. 10 years ago or so, or eight years ago, I was wholesaling, didn't have any money out of school, read the Robert Kiyosaki book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, said, This is how you do an assignment. I didn't know what that was. I said, I gotta learn how to do that. I gotta learn how to make $40,000 in a short period of time by selling paper. So I ended up, you know, figuring it out logistically and ultimately, you know, really learned how to market. And that was what it was about because once I learned how to logistically do it, and learned uh, how to get after it via marketing. Um, You know, it was just about multiplying it and scaling that business all along the way I was underwriting because we were getting into business when the world was ending in 2008, 2009. I was underwriting and didn't know it because I was selling to cash buyers and those were the smartest guys in the field because those are the only guys buying. Ultimately learning how to evaluate a deal when I'm looking at something that's really a deal. Um, Fast forward a little bit, wholesaling ended up turning into property management just by not really by design, but kind of just fed into it. Um, we started that property management company. One led, one thing led to another led to another. And all of a sudden we have 800 units in Philadelphia. And, uh, as we were buying units, um, or buying small manager companies, I was approached by a guy that was substantially bigger than me. I didn't know it until the third time I rejected his meeting and finally took it. And then he said, I want to buy you. I said, he said, "Google me." His name is Ben Oller. I looked it up real quick and said, "Yep, you are, you are really above my league." So I will. Uh, I accept your offer, and um, you can buy me. So uh, all the while, though, we had um, it was not until the second half of the of the ten year span, but we had started doing some hard money lending, and I and we had gotten very aggressive with it. Um, really, really, in the last few years in the Philadelphia market. But side by side, you and Jason had been partners with me. Um, Silent Partners in the management company but had some really pivotal 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 moves that you guys encouraged uh as I watched you know the hard money lending do so well um that really you know were huge in the in the management company um and ultimately have to this day transpired into the current management of thousands of units that we oversee so um and then you know as far as the lending goes I mean that's my love that's my passion so um, you know you guys have a killer business model that you had and really great staff so um but ultimately it comes down i gotta underwrite the deals and know what kind of risk we're assessing so i'm a pretty you know i'm an investor first banker second if that's how you want to put it you know like i understand the investment world first um and that's kind of my background okay
0: so yeah, you definitely rolled through like ten years of time yeah, and a, yeah, a lot yeah. of action in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna we're gonna back up and walk through some stuff because there's some some very cool things to learn. All um, right. Okay. So now, a good portion of our audience is familiar with real estate investing, but a lot of people aren't. Okay. Um, for people who are not, could you walk them through what a wholesale deal is, why it's a good way to get started? All yeah. Of that?
1: Um. So wholesaling is really um, the short version of it is. You're, you're buying, I'm sorry, you're assigning the rights of a contract for sale. You have the right to assign the ability to close on the transaction to another person. So you're not actually acting in the capacity as an agent, uh, like a real estate agent where you're getting a commission. It's not a commission because you're going into, say, Chris wants to sell his house for $10,000. I look at the house and say, hmm, I have somebody else that I might want to assign that to for $20,000. While I go into Chris, I put it under contract. I act as the buyer, I am the buyer. I'm on the co- contract as the buyer. I have the right to also buy it. Maybe I wanna do the deal. Maybe I wanna buy it at 10,000. Maybe my exit strategy, which is what this really wholesaling is, it's just a form of exit strategy, whether you wanna flip or rent. Wholesaling is an exit strategy. I then go ahead and take that contract as assignable, the key is the keyword being assignable. I can assign it then to an end buyer uh, maybe for $20,000. So they actually, are the ones that are closing on at the table, I've given them the rights to buy this property for the $10,000 spread between the 10,000 that I'm paying you and the 20,000 that they're actually paying for, for the rights on the property. There's $10,000 left in there. Uh, and then that would be my assignment fee, as they say. So it's been a long time since I've done an assignment, but um, we used to do a lot of them.
0: Yeah, no, you did for sure, and we'll still get one, a situation where it makes sense to put a property on a contract and assign it to someone else, maybe like once a year or something like that, it'll pop up. Uh, Good little bonus, but definitely a good way to get started, which a lot of people out there might be interested in.
1: I highly encourage it, people ask me that question. What
0: makes it so popular? What makes it such a popular way to get started in real estate?
1: Barrier to entry and amount of risk assessed, right? So everybody's terrified to buy a house and put real cash against it and then try to flip it. As their very first deal, when they don't know anything, and honestly, rightfully so, you should not be just diving in on a flip. Um, assigning allows for very low risk. You know, you're probably risking a $500 deposit. Now, there's real, um, there's a real area there that's pretty gray. Well, not gray. It's it's very clear to me. So, if you if you're in a situation where you're going to be putting a property under contract, you're probably doing so with somebody that needs to sell their house, and they might be in a dire situation because you're trying to learn how to do this, I don't advise just running around putting things under contract, telling people you're gonna do something and then not knowing your market and then not closing and it could put them in a worse situation. So you really want to know um, what you're doing, but in essence, you're risking other exit strategy in this business. And B, um, it's quicker money and you learn how to underwrite and you meet a lot of players as to what they're buying and why the numbers work. So you really, you, if you're really good at wholesaling, you learn how to underwrite, ultimately, honestly. That's that's the reality of it. So um, the, the skill sets that you take from the moment of learning wholesaling to where you go for the rest of your real estate career, whether it's flipping, whether it's renting, you will take those skill sets to analyze deals, which is where it all starts um, for the rest of your life. So I recommend because A, it's the barrier to entry is lower to be in it, um, but also because, I don't. I wouldn't be here without wholesaling. You know, I just wouldn't. Yeah, so.
0: yeah, no. Um, I definitely agree with a, a number of those points, and that is interesting. How even though you don't you don't realize in that simple sort of transaction that you're learning how to underwrite, mm-hmm. you you kind of fall into it because you have to be able to put together a good deal and present it to somebody who's very savvy in the right way.
1: That's right.
0: Yeah. So I mean, at first you're going to fumble your way through it, and that's just how doing anything new goes um, but yeah no you're right it is a good place to start let me ask you what do you think about wholesaling not just a one-off deal but like as a company to make your whole business model around wholesaling
1: sure I think it's like anything the widget is just wholesaling right If you're a flipper you can do one house a year you can do a hundred if you're a lender you can do one house a year, you can do a hundred same thing with wholesaling it's just it's just the exit strategy so really I find Absolutely, can build a business model around wholesaling. Um, in fact, I know several guys in this office that we've kind of cultivated in the Philadelphia market. Brought them in house because they run such a polished wholesaling business. Um, but really, it's not the fact that they're. It's not like they're super skilled wholesalers. They're they're very skilled business minds and they're very skilled entrepreneurs. Um, that make really good connections. And and whether they were wholesaling or whether they were selling, you know, cars or, or built whatever, they would make it. Work um, Wholesaling just happens to be their avenue that they chose and it's fine They make good margins, and, but ultimately they run really good businesses.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And that's kind of a segue into a, another thing I had jotted down. Um, you mentioned it, that wholesaling just happens to be the widget and then you apply your business skills to that mm-hmm. and, you know, or hard money lending or whatever it may be. And Jason and I have talked about that for a long time. Like we, we like real estate, and we like being in this industry, but we love business and entrepreneurship and running a company and everything that goes with it. Is really, but we're more passionate about that than we are the widget itself, uh, which is okay. I mean, you can be, you know, wh- whatever your Jones is, you can, <laughs> you can find it in. in I,
1: love, I love, money. I don't love swinging a hammer. There's no two cents about it. So lending seems to fit. Yeah. Um.
0: Okay. Now, you yourself personally, what's one or two things that you would say? have made you successful, that make you a good operator in business?
1: Um, some I mean, two of my MOs, I mean, there's a few things that I think, you know, I mean, there's, there's experience, right? That takes time to cultivate through making decisions and people talk about experience. I think experience is just, or I'm sorry, I think instinct is just a culmination of experience over time that allows you to draw very quick mathematical and intuitive decisions. Um, so I think my experience is very good, but on a day to day, basis, I believe that my consistency and responsiveness. So I am extremely consistent in everything I do. I plan, Um, it's just who I am in nature. And I really try to not veer from my path. I feel uncomfortable um, when I go outside of my consistent plan that's in front of me. I mean, literally, I have a plan, you know, it's always in my head. I'm always planning something in my head, whether it's literally to go eat and then use the bathroom. Like I have a plan to go eat and then, like I under this time frame. <laughs> you have or it under it mapped this frame, out. You have it all mapped out. It's a little high strung. It's a little high strung at times for sure, but overall, it's definitely lucrative and, and profitable in in a day to day. But I am very consistent and um, you know very responsive to people because we're in the technological age too. Like you can't you you know you, you can't go. I haven't checked my email in four days. Like this. you get get like a pigeon flying out there to like to drop off the mail like what's going on like so those two things are 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 very i think when people get to know me that they recognize that pretty quickly
0: yeah i like that emphasis on consistency and jason and i were talking about that recently too i've been um i've been toying around with a new productivity tool in the form of a simple checklist of the Mm -hmm. things i want to get done during the week
1: right
0: and and not not just like transactional day-to-day stuff but like the the bigger, more important type things, like your business owner, and like marketing and productivity type stuff, mm. uh, and even personal development and things like that, that I can just roll through. I just started last week, instead of using that little day winner scoring system I have. We don't have to get into all that today, but I was just checking off the boxes. And when Jason and I were discussing that and talking about how that might be, um, that might be helpful for training staff members or whatever it may be, that it's not so much about making it super Difficult and high level and full. Mm-hmm. It's about doing something that's comfortable enough that you can be consistent at, and that becomes like your new normal. Absolutely. If you can get there, like it doesn't have to be. You know, is on another level in terms of dedication, and you don't have to do seventy-five meetings in one day and work eighteen hours. Like it doesn't have to be that way. It's more important
1: to be who. you you
0: are Yeah.
1: Uh, I would I would add to that too that like so what I found is that um, consistency adds to like creating your new neural pathways and the new you. So like sometimes when there's something I want to I've learned that it, you know it doesn't. My day to day, right? First thing I do every single morning, no matter what, I get up, I have a cup of coffee. Water um, right, and I have my own marketing routine down to like a science. Now some of the things could certainly be outsourced. Some of it's I could be more efficient, but it's part of the consistency. And at first it was doing it, and you're like, eh, you know I gotta get up and market, but I, I won't quit at it, right? Until what happens is now I'm at the point where my day is off. So like it became who I who I am just via the consistency, and I happen to want to put wanted to put the importance on the trade of marketing every day to become who I am. And then if I don't do that marketing, before it was if I had to get up every day and do marketing, I have a pain in the butt. But once I became who I was, if I didn't do it now, it's the opposite. So the consistency yeah. created who I was in in those capacities. I'm not perfect at it, and you're right. I don't I don't sit there and you know I don't try to take a meeting every five minutes and you know it's, I'll burn out. But the high level stuff, I try to integrate through consistency and make it who I am, not just a function of my day.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that you put it that way. Um, Making it part of who you are, neural pathways, stuff like that, that's, yeah, interesting entrepreneur talk. Um, Which, okay, having that mapped out in the game plan and the consistency is especially important for someone like you because you're running two businesses.
1: Yeah.
0: Simultaneously in essence, like how do you, how do you manage that? Cause I'm sure you have a game plan in your head for when you do what, how does that all flow?
1: It's all leverage, it's all time leverage and understanding what's important, what's in front of you and what you have time for. I keep always in the back, you know, in the front of my mind, what is the, what is the high? So money is my first function always. Like it's the bloodline to both businesses. So I look at the importance of the meeting or what I have to do right now. And I'm always trying to look at, okay, what is the highest amount of money I can make at this moment? Um, And that just becomes like second nature. I look at it and say, okay, probably want to close this loan today as opposed to take this coffee meeting with the title company. I don't know. Right. I just, that's, so it's very, it's very instinct. It makes sense. Um, but in terms of, so we have really great infrastructure at the TCS and the HMB offices too. So that's a really big deal. So it allows me to just put my hands on the most important activities. So it's not just a one man show we have. I mean, you know, Terry at HMB. you guys, like the whole infrastructure is fantastic. The TCS offices, 20 people on staff that do different departments. Through my experience, I've been able to really leverage time. Everything I do though is written in a book. I can tell you that is, I cannot, I would go, I would turn around and drive six hours if I left it somewhere and go get this book. Um, every single thing I do, I actually don't have to remember anything ever. Like not my personal life, not my business life. I don't run around. Trying to like keep like a list in my head and then go, Oh, I forgot to do that at the end of the day does not happen. Everything that is a commitment, a mental commitment for myself, if I go, I'm going to do this, or I have a scheduled time, is instinct that I write it in that book. And then when I flip open the day, I know exactly what has to be accomplished every day. It is going back to what we talked about with consistency. Um, and you've seen me with the book when we're in person. I have this book and I was writing, and it. it's the same book. Sure. It's, it's actually a calendar. Going back to the consistency it's top at first to take that self or self-organization method and put it in play because you're not using it in your life. But once I started doing that and then it became who I was, which is going back to that consistency issue, it is who I am now. So I'm able to identify immediately what needs done in each business on a daily basis. Um, and it's always based on what I'm going to commit to. And it could be like, literally like I just wrote down, I have to, um, I have an uh, electric bill that I have to call and I tell them my, um, I have to get the account number, I have just moved, so I don't know the account number. So I've got to call that. So I knew I have to do that, I made the commitment, I wrote it down. Or it could be, hey, our biggest client's coming in tomorrow at one o'clock, you gotta be there. Okay, I'll write it down. Once it's written down, I don't, I don't have lists in my head. I don't, nothing gets missed, it just doesn't because you write everything down. So that's a big part of um, how I manage you know, the time on the two uh, businesses for sure.
0: Interesting. So in when you're writing everything down, it's a calendar but you call it a book. Is that right? But you open yeah. it up, it looks like a look at the calendar.
1: Yeah, it looks like so it's like this. So it's a leather bound and I see another thing. Be able to get yeah. it into it. So it's a leather bound. And then on the other side, each each page is one day. So I print it out every month. I just do a printout. It's pretty simple. There's nothing honestly there's nothing sure. Oh yeah. Stuff. It doesn't doesn't need to be anything more than simple. But we um, actually did get I'll actually derail you just a hair we got this. I don't know if you've seen this. Have you seen these smart pads? Have you seen, this changes my life. Have you seen this? So this is a, it looks like paper and it is. It has micro dots on it, right? And it's it's called a smart pen. It is paper. You have a special pen and as you write, it actually there's a camera in the pen and it takes down your handwriting and immediately syncs to your phone. So you literally, whatever page I have in this book will now be archived forever. Yeah, it's amazing. So. That might be the upgrade, my technological upgrade that is coming in the near future. Still paper though.
0: You're writing it down there and it's saving it somewhere else, like to a a Google doc or the program that comes with that thing or something.
1: Right to your phone and it's the exact handwriting and everything. It's amazing. It's like, and it's because what I loved about it, it was online, offline, because I like the paper. I like the function of writing and then it it puts everything in there. So I can have notes from eight months ago, you know, because the problem is I can't have like full years worth of a calendar in my, my binder. So I have one month at a time and the other month is gone. So if I ever have to draw up on something and I'm like, oh man, that was in the calendar from a year ago, now it's archived. So it's pretty cool. Um, actually, I'll talk to you guys about it when I get down here. It's called a smart Pen for anybody that's looking at what Yeah,
0: one. no, I'll definitely, I'll definitely look into that. I was, like I mentioned the checklist thing that I'm testing out currently. Yeah. Um, and it's in my office now and it's on paper for right now. The reason being is, just like the system I have on my glass door. I, sometimes I want it to be a little bit more tangible than just in a phone. Yeah, a yeah, computer. yep. Because I can, I can easily not look at an app in my phone. I can mm-hmm. easily avoid something like that, but it is hard for me to avoid that piece of paper on my desk. Yep. It makes it a little bit different, right? Um, low tech, very simple, but effective stuff. Um, yeah, cool. No, I'm uh, As you saw, I'm making a couple notes here for, uh,
1: yeah, I don't, know why, I don't know why I never personally, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I've never clicked with the um, running my life around, you know, like the e-calendars and stuff. I just, there's nothing wrong with them. I just never personally clicked with it. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's the tangible aspect of writing. I, I'm not sure, but it's just, that's what worked for me. Yeah. It sounds like it works for you as well.
0: Yeah, in a little bit different way. Everyone has their own system. Like I my calendar is the Google calendar that syncs to all my devices and that's best for me. And we have shared calendars for the office and everything else, so that that works great. But just some of my personal productivity stuff, sometimes I like it to not be on the phone. Gotcha. Um, Okay, anyway, going back to one of the things we were talking about before, like I asked about some of what you think your strengths are. Opposite side of that question. So what would you like to improve about yourself in business if you could?
1: So, one of the things I'd like to do is so I know um, with consistency also drives in if I enter a trait or an activity in my schedule that's like um, not as high money making or high level as it should be. Sometimes I hold on to that blindly and, and continue to do that for a long period of time before realizing, man, I should have probably outsourced that, off leveraged that. Why am I doing this? Um, I'd like to identify those things quicker or be more conscious of them. Cause it's not like I can't identify them. I'm just not conscious. I just kind of do it and it's just chewing away time. The only non-renewable <clears throat> resource on this planet. Right? So that's all you got. And I'm just chewing that time away with something that I should be doing something else. So, um, I'd like to be able to identify those quicker and offload those if, if need be quicker, not because certainly not out of laziness, but out of efficiency and what a better use of my time is. Um, which is hard to balance for you know most people, but, um, myself included so that would be definitely something I I could use a little bit that's that's a really good
0: answer and a a very very common thing I mean not only for for business owners but for for everybody everybody. and I've now that you bring it up I've noticed it over the years you have gotten better at that like you've adapted at you know there's a couple ways to go about it like one certain things that might not be the right activities for a person to focus on would hopefully create some kind of pain for them. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I've am i always joked around about it, but like I'm allergic to administrative work mm. and it, it seems like school work to me, it seems like busy work, like it hurts me physically when I have to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's been a good thing because I'm, I'm pulled away from those things. I can't get caught in them because I can't even physically do it. And for some people I know it's challenging to to cut off certain things like that. Like how, how would you say How did that process go in terms of clinging on to certain things and not being able to let it go to identifying, being like honest and realistic and identifying those as time wasters or not the best thing for you personally to do? Like how did that
1: evolve? The super candid answer in this conversation are two things. One, so when you're a new entrepreneur, you hold on to everything. It's a control function. You don't believe anybody can do anything the way you can. You're afraid the mistake could cause something. So that's kind of how it gets ingrained in me or got ingrained in me the reality of how the eye opener for me was truly meeting with you guys at one point and I was embarrassed because I was like, this is the level, you, know, you guys were at a, a higher level than I was at an earlier time frame." So I remember meeting with you guys and you guys looked at what I was doing and basically looked at my day and I was embarrassed. You weren't trying to embarrass me, but you were like, I was on a different planet than you were at that moment. And I realized it and I was like, you know, it's embarrassing to say, this is what I'm doing all day. And I just became extremely um, conscious of my peers and understanding, like, if I'm trying to get to where I'm trying to get to, I'm not walking into another meeting and telling you, you know, you guys, cause it was like you guys, you know, pseudo coaching, cause you were, you know, we had a business coach at the time that you guys had made a lot of developments through yourselves. So I really wanted to listen to that. And um, it was a, it was a combination of things, but it was more of just like, I'm not coming into another meeting saying, this is what I'm doing again. So I force the change. And then as, as, you, as you open those changes, all of a sudden you're going, like it's easier to recognize and you're, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't do that. I can't do that, you know, or I should be doing that. Um, Cause you don't wanna like go over the wrong things either. It's not about not working. Like people, people think that running, being an entrepreneur is about not working. That's not the truth. That's not the case. It's about working on high level functions of activity um, and not low level um, and leveraging your time. So that's honestly how that came about. Yeah, I mean, that, a couple of those things were
0: really good points. I mean, one, that it's just not easy to know this stuff until you experience it, and having, yeah. you know, working with partners, a business coach, like you said, mastermind group, whatever it may be, it, it's just a process of learning from other people and learning about yourself, and I mean, you know, like they say, if it, if it were easy, everyone would do it. Sure. You know, everyone would have a company. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the challenging thing is, for a business owner, large or small size, you know, your job is to focus on the highest level activities, for sure. But at the same time, especially when you're small, there's just so many things that there's no one else around to do it yet.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, yeah, like you said, if I don't do it myself, it won't be done right. So then you are afraid to let it go, which is really not the case. I mean, with, with the, you know, anyone on your team that you hire, something else is going to be moving around, a, you know, a job that was yours or that was someone else's is going to shift because that's just how it goes when you have more people. So no, it's not the end of the world. Things are not going to fall apart. The sky's not falling and you can delegate, <laughs> right? True. All true. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was making a couple good notes there of things we were rolling through. Um, so I think a good exercise for people, and let me know what you think about this. Instead of focusing on what you should stop doing maybe it's better to focus on the few important actions that you do do. Like make, what do you think about that? Just making, as an entrepreneur, making your, your job description, your to-do list, just have fewer items you're even allowed to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say uh, along the lines of that, maybe weighing the activities and understanding, like if you don't know the difference between Making sure you're in in front of something because without you, this is this five thousand dollar check is not going to be in your pocket, and you know, grinding out um, some data inputting. If you can't see the difference in that, first you've got to identify the difference in those two activities, and then I would say um, reduce the amount of uh, the data inputting type activities, and yeah, like encourage yourself to focus on hey, what big transaction am I involved with today that takes my expertise to really get this, what's gonna make the, the, the wallet thicker today? Uh, not what is just a time crunch because I wanna be a busybody, but I, I think certainly focusing on the things that are high level activities and reducing the amount of busy work, probably simultaneously is what I would probably try to do, but you've gotta be able to identify them first. If you can't see them, you've gotta start there. And I didn't see him for a while until it, you know, I, I just told you the stuff I went through to get to that point. Uh, if I could help anybody avoid that, that you know, that great.
0: Yeah. Hopefully we are helping a few people today with exactly that. And yes. something else that I think should be more of a focus and people say this a lot nowadays, um, with tech stuff and apps and VC backed companies, and a lot of the people watching or listening today are in that world. The focus is, isn't on the money. It's not on the revenue. It's often on other things, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it's complicated. Like, you know, maybe it's uh, product building time or features or whatever, and you're not to the money yet. However, that's not the case in 99% of businesses. Mm-hmm. 99% of businesses, non-VC backed, or even VC backed, they need to start having revenue and profit. Oh, you know, you gotta have yeah. a top line and a bottom line, and Here's the challenge: a lot of the rhetoric that you see in, in the business world, in the entrepreneur community, in, uh, you know, blogs, articles, podcasts, all that stuff that we all take in, is not talking about what you were saying. What's the most important thing financially that I can be doing that my skill set requires? It's more about, hey, just work a shit ton of hours and hustle and grind and then work some more hours and blah blah blah, and you want to weigh in on that? you want to weigh in on uh, the Yeah, pros? I, you
1: know, I, I, fortunately it's like all over my Facebook feed right now, these stupid shirts that, you know, rise and grind. I'm like growing up when I see that shirt right in the morning, I'm like, it's the last thing I want to see. Um, I don't know, there's like a trend pushing in that direction and I agree with you, like these VC, you know, most businesses, here's what I can't say, neither of us can say, we're not building the next Google. We don't intend on it, right? All the VCs are designed about finding the next Mark Zuckerberg and that's the infrastructure they're trying to build. And they think the model is based on, you know, don't worry about the money, get get this, get that. And there's a juggle to between having really good infrastructure and staff and the money. But as an entrepreneur, we're about, like you said, 99% of the people that are watching this are not going to be involved in the next Google. And if they're trying to be, most likely that company is going to fail because one out of a thousand or one out of a million are gonna actually pull it off. So let's look at the fact that we are locally homegrown companies that did really well in our areas. That's the world I can speak from. That's the world I think you can speak from. And the reality is this, like you're most likely an entrepreneur that maybe has a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe, let's say 50,000 bucks. You start not focusing on that bottom line right out of the gates and understanding what makes you money and what doesn't and getting a very intimate feel for that, you're gonna burn through $50,000, you're gonna go get a job and you're never gonna come back into business because you're gonna be scared of it, you're gonna be burned out and that's gonna be a problem. So I, I am extremely focused on the bottom line and what I've learned is that to increase the bottom line, having really good partners, really good infrastructure and really good people and businesses around that helps you leverage the bottom line but you never ever lose sight of how much, that's the bloodline. You're just literally, you cut that out, you're losing, your blood's gone and you're dead. So, um, (laughs) like, I don't know how that's the only thing I can see. And I keep that very, very close to me to make sure that I never lose sight of that. Um, the philosophical stuff, I don't know Have to do a different interview with Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know. I don't know the answer, but I know that I've survived. You survived. We, we do pretty well in in our, in our sphere of influence compared to most people very focused on the, on the bottom line. So, Yeah, I mean, and but with that said, you never cross moral boundaries. That's another thing too. It's not bottom line. People think like sharks. People think like, you know, do anything for a dollar. I have a very strict moral code. You have it. Jay has it. Um, Our business partners up here at TCS, like, there is an unwritten code of you do this, you don't do this. I don't care how much money is involved. So that's really the baseline, and then money you built in that game or this moral code that you built. You find the money within that boundary.
0: That's an interesting point too. I actually did not have that. It's not something that that we brought up, but actually did come up at a lunch that Jason and I were at earlier today. And um, Some guy, a real estate industry guy, was talking about someone else that we all know in common and that he's known to do well, but then the people who really know him knows that he cuts a lot of corners most of us would not. Um, And yeah, When we're talking about Lot of these ideas being an operator duh, duh, duh. like to be honest that stuff doesn't even really occur to me because it's just kind of ingrained in that it's in your dna like, we're trying to make win-win transactions out here like win-win right yeah yep. it's not, not taking advantage of people it doesn't yeah. even occur to me to talk to because it's just kind of coded into you know who we are
1: yeah I, I don't even know it's so that is like something i couldn't explain to somebody um that's a character judgment it's like something that. You either, I don't I don't want to see you either have or you don't because I think you can learn it, but like you have to really want to learn it if you don't have it. I was born with it. Like it's just who I am as a person. As far as I've known you and Jay, as long as I've known you, you guys, that's just who you guys have been. I'm not saying it's unteachable, but like the problem is if you don't have that moral code in place, you can stray so far outside the boundaries financially and business decisions and you become dangerous to yourself and to others. Um, you you don't have bumpers in your own life to to understand what's right and what's wrong, and even if you're not intending on doing something wrong, you have no you're just there's no boundary there's no and I don't, I don't say boundary but there's no direction on the map. Like we're, yes. for, some, for some reason you and I and Jay I know we're heading in the same direction. Never sat down with you and mapped it out, but we're heading in the same direction. We all know we're heading in the same direction. If you don't have that, you could be so far out in left field you don't even know, and then. Do something that's financially dangerous to yourself and others, and you can't be in that position. Yeah, it's true.
0: Yeah. Um, cool. I'm gonna write that one down too. Um, okay. So, talking about the map that we haven't, you know, really put on paper yet. Like we talk about stuff in the future. What do you see for the next three, four, or five years? Where do you see this all going? You had a pretty good thing going on. Yeah. The market could be a little bit at the top, but still, mm-hmm. where where do you see? Uh, yourself and your business is going?
1: I mean, lending being my passion, um, that is just gonna continue to grow. Um, you know, I don't see us, you know, I see us, it's just, we run a really good model, right? So I don't think we're gonna do anything outside of the model we're in. We're gonna continue to be the biggest names in our market, um, be in front of good deals when the investment makes sense, we can protect them, you know, the money at hand and make money while we're doing it. We're gonna continue to do that. Um, you know, there's other avenues and opportunities that certainly come up, I think, and fortunately we're all like-minded in business. So like, you know, in integration with TCS management and, and, and that circle of people and, and so forth, um, there's opportunities for massive growth in like the management field. So from the management world, yeah, I mean, we probably will be, we're definitely gonna be in multiple cities. Um, the opportunity to take something like this national is certainly possible. Um, and the hard money world, I'm, you know, I'll probably look at for a few percent a year for ten years, but there's a limit to it. And then eventually, you know, we, we have discussed well, um, how those deals are funded. There's an end goal to that, and that end goal makes, I think, everybody pretty, pretty, uh, pretty stable in what they've accomplished financially in life. So um, that's that's where I see it headed, man. I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, it's fun to grow. It's real fun growing.
0: It is fun to grow, and it's also fun to get know somewhat i mean we're not like old guys yet but to get somewhat matured Mm -hmm. in business like you've seen some stuff like some ups and some downs good and bad things that work and don't work and we're in like your tech, and we had you know like a finance and real estate world jobs before we started hmb 10 years ago Um, so let me ask you a question on that note so you're in a good spot you have good companies good partners everything else things are moving in a good direction and it takes time to get there. And what would you, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's in like year one or two, maybe in real estate, maybe in small business? What kind of advice would you give to someone who's around that stage of their career and wants to get where they actually see what's going on and understand the world?
1: Uh, so they're in, they're in a day job or they're not in a day job?
0: Let's say they're doing real estate deals, year two, maybe like three deals under their belt.
1: What would you say to them? I would say look five years ahead of you and see where you want to go. So if you're doing so that, so if you're doing, if you've done three deals, you also have a full-time job. Doesn't, there's nothing wrong with that, but you're doing real estate part-time and you're in a full-time job. So at that time I would say what look five years out and decide where you want to be. Now, if you say, I I hate my job, I want to leave it. I am so focused on real estate. Great. But you've only done three deals in two years. You've done one thing very clearly. You've gotten, you've fallen into your comfort zone, which is your job and you haven't pushed your boundaries in learning how to scale, because that's all you have to do. If you've done three deals, you just scale, you learn to market, right? And then you offset your income because everybody asks this question, I'm thinking about taking the leap into full-time real estate. I've done one deal. You're out of your mind, you're gonna be back, you're gonna be out of the game instantly. Like I learned when I did the transition personally that I was burning the candles at 2 ends, but there was nothing that was gonna stop me. Like it was I, was, I had my job during the day that I would work and, but I, and then I would, at nights and weekends straight through it was feasting on real estate investing, understanding it um, but I wasn't going to leave because the bloodline was always important because your your job is your cash flow to your business while you have it that is your cash sure. flow your data so what I did was I made sure that the income for I think about six months in real estate clearly offset the job my job for six months because I had to show that I could repeat this. It wasn't like a one-hit thing. So did I was, I was I turning transactions over a period of time. So I'd say be prepared to burn the candle at both ends if you're at that point in your life and you want to make the shift. Um, don't be afraid of work. And to really decide because there's nothing wrong. I know guys that have that love their job. They still have a rental portfolio. They're not gonna ever do that full time. It's just their retirement vehicle and that's their plan mm-hmm. and that's good. But I would say if you're just a couple years in, you're 23, 24, the the further you can look ahead in your potential plan in the future, if you can say, this is what I want when I'm 30 and I can take action now, you'd be so far ahead that you're supposed to ask me that same question when you're 30 and then have to be 40 or 40 to 50. So um, doesn't mean, you can't do it at any age, but try to look five years out and really decide where you want to be versus where you are. Good stuff. Good
0: answer. Yeah, definitely. Wise advice for newer investors or real estate agents, even. Um, okay, cool. Well, where can any where can people find you? Social, email, like where do you prefer people kind of reach out to you?
1: Um, you know, I, I like to use um, my hard money email account uh, or my phone number. So uh, I A N, just my first name, at hardmoneybankers.com, I'm always on Facebook Ian Walsh um, or two one five eight three nine three two seven one. You wanted to just give me a call, but. Honestly just emailing. So good deal. All right, Ian Walsh, thank
0: you again for being with us.
1: Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks, man. All right, talk to you later.